Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study of the book of Romans, Pastor Murphy has been showing us some of the unique characteristics surrounding the doctrine of salvation. Today we'll continue to see how salvation eliminates all human boasting. Romans chapter 3. And I would like to read from verse number 21 of Romans chapter 3. And then we will come to a text later in the chapter. But I think you need to see the context to appreciate where we're coming from. So Romans chapter 3, reading from verse number 21 of Romans chapter 3. Follow with me please as I read verse 21. We'll go down to verse number 30, and then we'll pick up our text in verse number 27 and following. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is my faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and justifier of him which believeth on Jesus Christ. Then Paul asks some questions in verse 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law or by what principle? By the principle of works? Nay, but by the principle of the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he then the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which hath justified the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Now that brings me to the second point uh, of Paul's character. First of all, Paul is saying this salvation is of the character that it vindicates God and it exonerates God. It shows that God is righteous. It displays God's righteousness. We studied that in the uh, verses 25 and verse 26, the last time that we were here. Uh, And that brings me to the next characteristic of this uh, sacrifice of Christ, this, 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 uh, this thing that Paul talks about. And that's where we are this morning in verse uh, number 27. This is the next characteristic. It not only is a salvation that exonerates God, and vindicates God that he's righteous. But the second thing that Paul said is the salvation, verse number 27, that excludes... Any 
and absolutely any capacity for us to boast. Look what he says. Where is boasting then? If what I just told you is true, where is there room for pride and arrogance and self-conceit? Where can a man now boast? The Apostle Paul is suggesting to us the character of this salvation not only exonerates God, but the character of this salvation makes it totally impossible for any kind of human boasting. Now what does Paul mean when he talks about boasting? Where is boasting? Now the word translated boasting is one of Paul's favorite words. If you go through Paul's writing, you find that this word is consistently found sprinkled throughout Paul's writings. It is one of the great words of the Apostle Paul. And he was familiar with this word because Paul had one great problem before his conversion. He was a man who was a Pharisee and a Jew and he had a tendency to boast. You remember when he was given a thorn? Why was he given a thorn? Now he'd been planting church after church and doing all this great work. Now the Lord gives him a thorn. Why is he given a thorn? Well, you would have thought that God using him in such a way, he would have been humble. But listen, lest I be what? Exalted above measure. Lest my head swell and get too big. I begin to feel I can boast because of how God is using me to found church after church. I sprinkle the landscape with churches. What a great man I am. And God said, brother, I see the tendency in you there. I know that, you know, our past is often carried over into our Christian life. You know that? Oh, yeah. I can give you a little secret that I want you to never forget. The sin you got saved from. When you got saved, it's the same sin that will bring you down if you're not careful. Yes. Now, I know we all got sins. But it's always a besetting sin that stops you from coming to Christ. I don't know what it is. Don't tell me this morning. Don't embarrass yourself. I certainly will not embarrass myself. But it was, I had many, many, but there was this one that kept me from Christ. You know what I discovered? I've been saved a long, long time now. I was 16, 17, I'm now 60-something. But let me just tell you something. You see that same sin? I have to watch that same sin because in my old age, it now want to come my way again. Yeah, you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. You will never, it will be there. And that's the problem with Saul. He was a proud, arrogant, boastful man. I'll tell you how I know that. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Listen to him. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, Hebrew of the Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, touching the law. He's already memorized his list. Already. He, he, he said it with such kosher, so easily. He can propound and tell you everything. This is what? No, that's the man that is saved. But he can still remember the things that meant so much to him before he was saved. His boasting, as it were. 
If his nationality, his birth, his training, his knowledge, his morality, and his religiosity, basically. That's what Paul has in this particular passage. But he said here uh, clearly that there should be no boasting. Now, I believe also that the reason why Paul mentions this at this juncture is because Paul is targeting especially the Jew. You remember that he's going to say that, okay, is he God of the Jew only or God of the Gentile? He's God of all of them. But remember, the, the problem with the Jew is that the Jew is a very proud person. He thought he had a corner in God. He thought he was so special that the Gentiles were dogs. And he distanced himself from the Gentiles. Listen, he would not even eat with the Gentiles. You remember Peter? Even after he got saved and understand that uh, the Gentiles have been justified just like the Jew. But you remember he went up in Galatia and there he is among and then somebody came from the church in Jerusalem. Uh, maybe James, the big top brass guy. And here is here's Peter. Uh, socializing with the, Jew, with, the, with the Gentiles and everything is okay until this Jewish big hat comes up. And the moment this big man come up, this dawn come up, what happened? Peter now withdraw himself from the Gentiles and would not eat with the Gentiles. Because it's not kosher for a Jew to mingle with a Gentile and socialize with a Gentile. And Paul came up there and said, listen man, you're a big hypocrite. Paul said, I withstood the man to the face because he was wrong. Because Christianity erases all social distinctions. All economic distinctions. All racial distinctions. All geographical distinctions. It puts all of us in Christ. And we are all one big family. And if you don't like that, get out of the family. So when Paul is dealing with this matter of boasting... He's especially targeting the Jew. You remember what he said in chapter 2 and verse number 17? I want to quote for you. He said, Behold, thou callest, call the Jew, and rest us in the law, and make us thy boast in God. So while he's dealing with this matter of justification by faith and explaining how God can gratuitously forgive all mankind, he wants to exonerate God, but he wants to tell the Jew there's no room for boasting here that you're some special person or special group. God would accept you just like he accepted the Gentiles. So the Jew was one that was plagued by this spirit of boasting and pride. And they boast in God. They boast in the law. They boast in their circumcision. They boast in their rituals. And of course, they boast in their pedigree. We be Abraham's seed. That's our pedigree. Where your pedigree come from? See? Boasting, boasting, boasting. And Paul now says in this section, quite clearly, the way that God now has justified man, the means of salvation, the order in which God has done it, it has totally exonerated God in the first case, vindicated God's righteousness. But secondly, Paul says, I want you to know that the way of this salvation also excludes boasting. Nothing to boast about. See? Is anyone here that can tell me that you had a confrontation with God, you had a meeting with God, and you persuaded God to save you? Oh yes, you give God a thousand reasons why you should be saved. 
Anybody met God yet and listed all those things? God, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did Sure, I did a few things, but God, look at how much good things I did. I deserve it. And God said, you're right. Anybody did that? Anybody can get it here this morning and said, I, I boast before God. I boast that I am saved on the grounds of who I am, of my own merits. I stand before God impeccable and clean and righteous because of who I am, what I have done. And God just had to let me into his kingdom. I can guarantee you one thing, you ain't getting in there. Guarantee you right now this morning. If that's your attitude, you ain't getting there. You don't belong there, you ain't getting there either. You need to humble yourself. See, Humble yourself and realize that you have done nothing to deserve what God has done for you. There's no boasting. You remember in Luke chapter 18, we have another classic example of the tendency for religious people to boast. I have said this on the pulpit and it's worth saying again, the hardest people I witness to are people who are religious. Can't say the Christians. I met people all over this place. And when you talk to them, oh, I'm an Anglican. Oh, I'm a Catholic. Oh, I'm whatever. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, you know, and they're so proud that they're Anglican. They're so proud that they're Catholic. Or they're, they're proud that they're Seventh-day Adventist. I said, man, I didn't come to talk to you about church. They didn't come to talk to you about church. They are so defensive. They, don't, they cannot sit down and you present a simple gospel message. They are hostile. It's as though we found what we wanted and we don't need your religion. I don't offer you religion, sir. I offer you Christ. But religious people are the hardest people to meet. They, they have this pride in them. And I was born an Anglican. My mom was an Anglican. My mom, mom was an Anglican. My mom, mom, mom was an Anglican. I'm an Anglican too. Paul, you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised how really proud they are. You know? Religious people. In my Luke chapter 18... We got a man who is just like the Apostle Paul, a Pharisee. Goes up into the temple, not to pray, you know, but to self-congratulate himself. So he goes into the temple, and while he's in the temple, he is so arrogant and so conceited. He begins what might seem a prayer of gratitude. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that I am not as other men. Wow. I mean, you think about that for just a moment. Listen to him. I am not an extortioner. I don't overcharge people. I give them the just price. I don't play with the scales and put water in the sugar to make it weigh more than it should weigh, you know. Or I take this salt fish and, and I put some water in the salt fish and it swells out and it weighs more. I don't do that, God. I'm not unjust. I treat every man fairly. Now, who could say that? Which man here could say that he is really just? Honest to God. Even in your safe condition, tell me which man could say it this morning that he is just in everything he does, how he treats everybody. If you stand up here, you might drop dead here. God don't like landing in the church. 
It might be an Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> and then God, I'm not an adulterer. I know you say, well, I could pass that one, Pastor. Can you? Can you really pass it? You know, you may not have physically committed the act of adultery. But could I replay the video of you driving last week? Who did you pass on the street? Oh, you forgot her. Did you forget that look? And when you saw other people, because what happened, you didn't want people to say, I saw your deacon, I saw your member driving and looking at that girl's false hurt, looking at her butt, looking at her legs. See, Oh, no, not even that. That's the problem with us. We are so self-righteous because we don't do the physical thing. We forget that Lord says, if you desire it, if you desire it, you already committed it. See? You see why you need grace? You see why you need righteousness that you can't supply? That even though you strive not to commit the act, yet you know in your weakness, you have a tendency in that direction. See? I fast twice a week. He's better than most people. I know. Baptists don't fast. Baptists love their belly. See? But he could say, Lord, I fast twice a week. What is he doing? This is self-praise. He's exhibiting before God all his excellent qualities. And then he goes on and say, I tithe. But I don't just tithe. I tithe all I have. Can you say that? Can you say that? Well, you tithe out of the salary, but when somebody sends you a gift, do you give anything out of that? This Pharisee was so meticulous that he made sure that whatever income he had, he tithed. To his credit. You see the boasting? See the boasting. And then we're told there was a man who was a public one that just crept in secretly. He's going into the temple to prayer and he can't even look at God. And all he could do is smite on his chest and say, God, God, be propitiated to me. By the way, that's what the word means. Not be merciful to me. That's not the word. Read it for yourself. Check it in the Bible. Be propitiated to me. When you go home, check that word and see. It's not be, be propitiated to me. Now what he's what he's realizing is that he needs a propitiatory sacrifice. He needs one to pay the price in his place. How did he know that? Well, that's what the Old Testament is about. Every sacrifice was saying that the real lamb was going to come. So he is saying, Lord, be propitiated to me. Find that which satisfies you on my behalf. I can't satisfy you. You need an excellent sacrifice. Be propitiated. Be, be satisfied. Not me. I can't do it, God. The Lord said that man went down to the grave. What? Justified. Same word. Justified. Justified. The Apostle Paul is emphasizing that when it comes to this great salvation, it not only exonerates God and vindicates God as a righteous God, but Paul is saying, I want to say in the second case, it has the character that if you understand the salvation, it excludes total boasting whatsoever. 
None whatsoever. And by the way, the same message of the gospel, when we present the gospel, we need to present it in such a way that we completely obliterate, obliterate all this human boasting we have today. When you present the gospel to a man and you leave him proud, you haven't presented the gospel. You present something else. A fabrication. A caricature. But not the real gospel. When you understand the gospel, sir, you are humbled before God. You almost cry out in mercy, God, save me! Save me! Only you can save me! There's no patting on the back in this matter. And we are living in a day where the ungenerate generation that we're living with is a very proud one. Boy, are they proud. They're proud of their education. They want you to know that Christianity is for infants. But we are now matured to the level where this primitive stuff is not for us. We're too smart. Are they proud? And what they do, by the way, they look for every single argument. If they find an evolution, say something that they found a man who was a million years old. They say, but look at it. You said it's only 6,000 years old. They're looking for every way and every means. They're proud of their education. And boy, are they proud of their nationality. Me and Antigua be born. I'm an American. I'm an Englishman. Boy, they are they proud. And then they're proud of what I call the ephemeral looks. You ever see them yet? Man, they painted the face. I, I'm, I'm trying to find somebody who's really satisfied the way God made them. Honestly, I, I just, I've been trying to look around and say, who, who really, who really? I mean, it's amazing. Brother, let me just tell you this, okay? And I don't want to seem insulting to anybody in here or offending anybody. But you know, they've got this black consciousness movement, right? But you realize all these movie stars want to be white? You ever realize that? They, they, they color their skin. Sometimes you see them, you want to be, you're a white man? You're a white woman? They just try to, I don't know why. I met somebody here in Antigua the other day when we were at the conference. And the person, I said, wait, who is this? <laughs> Honest, I said, who? Then I realized who it was, but I said, I said, wait a minute. You had the flu? What happened with you? You're supposed to be a black person, but now you look as white as me. What happened with you? You, 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 what you did? You bleach yourself? I was embarrassed for the person. Look, thank God who you are. God made you the way God made you. You don't have to be anybody else. If nobody don't like that, that's their problem, not your problem. But brother, they're proud of their looks. You don't have to take my word for it either. Just go down town and see how they pants off. They, they want to show their arms. They want to show their legs. They want to show their butt. They want to show their breasts. They want to show everything. Hey, look at me. I'm something special. No, you're cheap. You got something for sale. See? You've taken away all the mystery about yourself. There's no mystery any longer. See? They're proud of their car. Oh, yeah. You see them every Sunday polishing the metallic God. 
They got rims and they got this and they got the next. Church going on, you know. I ain't got time for church, boy. We'll be polishing our God, man. Polishing the God. See? Yeah, they're proud. Boy, are they proud. Proud of their house. They're proud of their religion. They're proud of their science and their technology. They're proud of their achievements and their accomplishments. They're even proud of their weed. I said they're proud of their weed. They want people to know that they smoke weed. And they want the government to make sure that they legalize more weed. See, We want weed. Now let me tell you something here, see. Anybody that needs weed to find God, don't know God. Did you hear what I tell you? Anybody that needs weed to find God, doesn't know God. So all this nonsense about higher consciousness. You are in contact with not the supreme being of the universe. You are in contact with an infernal being of the universe. You are deceived. See? But boy, are they proud of the weed. See? And they are proud of the hair. I have a problem knowing who got, who got here. <laughs> my wife is there. I would tell my wife sometimes... <laughs> I would tell my wife that I said, yes, you know, uh, but I love the way that lady's hair looks. She said, Dave, that's fake. I said, you, you, you serious? You serious? Honestly, I, she's right there. You could ask her. I am deceived. <laughs> totally, totally deceived. See? Boy, but they are proud of that. I mean, really, really, really proud of that. And today, there's one thing I've realized is that they're proud of their butt. Proud of their butt. I'm serious. They want you to know they have a big butt. They tie it in. I want you to see it, man. See? In carnival, they do everything with it. I want you to see it, man. I thought, something wrong with us. Something wrong with this society. Something wrong with this modern world. Something wrong with man. Look what we're proud of. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is intended to crush that pride and crush that boasting. See? So what Paul does is that when he brings you face to face with Christ on the cross, he says to you there, here is God's propitiatory sacrifice that deals with your sin and makes righteousness available to you at no cost to you. Nothing you can do. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't bribe God. You can't do nothing. It is a gratuitous gift. Now let me ask you a question. Is there anything that could humble a man more than to tell him I'm offering this. All you got is to take it. Now, I know I have a problem taking things, by the way. I know what I mean. I, I think most men would know that. I, I don't mind giving, but I have a problem taking. See? So in a sense, there's, a, there's, a, there's inherent pride somewhere inside. You follow what I'm saying? See? But now when it comes to Christ, he, and it, it's about, Lord, I need, what can I do? Nothing. You mean all I have to do is to take it? 
He said, yes. Now, if I tell a man he got to go on his knees to Mecca to get salvation, he would do it, you know. If I told him he had to do penance for the next five years, he would do it, you know. If I tell him he had to walk down the aisle here, skipping to get here and do something, he would do it. But the moment I tell him it's just a free gift, all you take it, he said something wrong with that. Something wrong with that. Sir, nothing wrong with it. It's just that you have a great, big, loving God that put his son on the cross to die in your place. And now he takes what his son has done and makes that available to you free of cost. Now, don't insult God, please, by telling him you can't take it. You can't take it. It excludes all boasting. So look at verse number 27. Where's boasting then? And then he asked the question, is it excluded? So, but, but, but how is it excluded, Paul says? By what principle does God exclude boasting? And listen to what he says. Is it excluded? By what law? By what principle is it excluded? And then he says in verse of work, works, is boasting excluded when the element of works come in? No, the moment you put works into the program of salvation... You give me a basis to, to boast. Let me show you that. Look at chapter 4. Paul used an exhibit in chapter 4. Look at verse number 1 and following. What shall we say then? That Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he have whereof the what? And that's the same word, boast, by the way. That's the word that is used. He can glory. So if Abraham got saved by works, Paul is saying, Man, he could glory, he could, he could boast before God. I am in the kingdom because look what I did, God. I'm Abraham, the father of the faithful. See? Notice what he goes on to say. For what said the scripture? Abraham what? Believe God and it was counted on the right. It was imputed to Abraham. It was put to Abraham's account. That he was righteous because he what? He believed. Now notice what he goes on to say. Now to him that worketh is the reward, is a reward. Not reckoned as grace, but debt. So the moment you enter the moment of works in salvation, God owes you something. It's a debt. Notice what he says. <clears throat> it's reckoned as a, not of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted as what? As righteousness. See? All works excluded. And by the way, if there was one singular character in the Bible, if it were possible for any man to get to heaven by works, it would be Abraham. He began this whole new movement. When God called Abraham after the world had gone into apostasy to start a new beginning with a, a group of people called the Jews. And it is one person. If works could save, it would be Abraham. But Paul says, <laughs> if that were true, he could boast. And God would have an, owe, owe him a debt. But Paul said it would not be of grace. See? So Paul is saying that the way of salvation that God has uh, brought in t- to save man excludes boasting. But by what principle does it exclude? It, ex- ex- not works. Once you bring in works... You don't exclude boasting. That's what Paul is trying to say to you. So anyone in here that believe you can be saved by doing anything, listen to me. Listen to me. God owes you a debt. God owes you a debt. 
And your salvation is a debt that God pays to you. But I'll tell you one thing. You'd be no debtor to any man. So I'm sorry for you, sir. If you're depending on works here this morning and your good lifestyle and how nice you are, listen to me. I know a lot of people much nicer than you. But I also know one thing. I know God who's perfect, much more perfect. See, So you can't get in. You can't get in. So that brings us to the next thing. Okay, if it's not of works then, the principle of works that enables man not to boast, he says, nay, no, 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 no. It's not of works, but by the law of what? By the principle of faith. See it? See it there? By the principle of faith. Once God operates on the basis of faith, works are excluded. Faith is not a work. Now let me explain something for just a moment. I'm going to say something now that if you, if you record it and we play it, some people might think that Pastor Murphy is a heretic. But here it is. Faith doesn't save you. I repeat, faith doesn't save you. There's no merit in faith. Now you've gone silent. I know you're saying, but Pastor Murphy, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Listen. Faith is the instrument of your salvation. It is what you put your faith in. You're only saved because of the propitiatory sacrifice. Your faith must be in that. Having faith will not save you. It's when you put your faith in this. Now you, you understand what I'm saying? Because there are a lot of people who got their faith in their faith. Now I'm serious. I am dead serious. That's why people have a struggle of, of eternal security. They're wondering, did I have enough faith? How much faith I have? It doesn't matter if you have a mustard seed of faith. If your faith is in the finished work of Christ, you have saving faith. So it's not your faith that saves you. It's what you put your faith in. See? So that's what Paul is really teaching here, by the way. He, he doesn't elaborate on it, but he lets you know that the principle of faith, but it's the principle of faith in the finished work of Christ, in the redemptive work of Christ, in the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ. It's not faith in itself. Let me ask a question. If faith in itself could save, everybody in the world would be saved because everybody got faith. They got some measure of faith. Everybody got some measure of faith. But it's what you put your faith in. See? So you see now it's no longer work. No longer work. Brother, I wonder why the Apostle Paul can't stop. He's explained to us this great salvation, yet he feels emboldened that he must talk about the character of this salvation. He wants you to know what type of salvation this is. It's a kind of salvation that exonerates God, it vindicates God. It honors God, but not only that, it's a kind of salvation that excludes any form of boasting on any man's part. It demolishes the whole concept of meritorious salvation and works. It crumbles before. Now I got to stop here this morning. And I want to ask you this morning. Are you saved? Are you saved? What have you been depending on? What have you been looking for? Well, pastor, have you been looking towards yourself? There's no comfort when you look at yourself, my dear friend. You know how you can tell you that I know there's no comfort? Don't just look at your acts. Once in a while, think of your motives. 
Just think of your motive for just a, mind, uh, just a moment. Not the action. You might, you might not do anything outwardly wrong that anybody could say, bam, bam, bam. But just think about the motives behind your thinking, your thought life. Sir, may I say to you, madam, don't look to yourself. There's no hope in yourself. Look to Christ and Christ alone. He has satisfied God and enabled God to make his righteousness available to you. So the moment you put your faith and trust in him, God forgives you and God said, I put you in Christ and I treat you as one in Christ. I see you in his righteousness. As he is righteous, so now you're righteous. That's why I could keep, and this is the problem I've always had. How can God, I know I'm a sinner, but how can God still treat me? Because he sees me in Christ. It's called positional justification. And brother, the moment we move away from that, all our sense of security goes. All our sense of assurance goes. The moment we forget that God deals with us in his son. Look, don't let the devil deceive you. Don't let false teachers mislead you. Come to Christ. Trust him. Trust him. You can trust him because this book is God's book and he wants you to know. He wants you to know exactly what this salvation is all about. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the patience of those who sat here and listened we trust that we've done justice to your word. We trust we've been able to explain in greater level of fullness what this great salvation is all about. But above all, we trust that believers here understand that salvation is not first about man. It is always about God. That his justice demanded satisfaction. And God solved that problem because an eternal God needed to be eternally satisfied, he sent his eternal son to die in our place to take our punishment upon himself. Thus, meeting all the righteous demands of God and his holiness and his law, and now God, out of free, gratuitous grace, he makes this salvation available all the only condition is that that sinner be willing to repent of his sins and put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ how simple yet how glorious father use your word this morning whoever you're speaking to in that still small voice that tugging at the heart that searing of the conscience that pricking that contains within may that person recognize that God has not abandoned them God has brought them into this assembly and God wanted them to hear the truth as it is in Jesus Christ oh that one who is troubled am I saved am I lost what do I need to be saved believe where do I look for God? How can I be pardoned and forgiven? Oh, I'm such an awesome person, an awful person. If people only knew my life, what I did. Can you hear his voice saying, my son took care of that. My son take care of that. Oh, my dear friend. 
Oh, my dear friend, this morning, would you hear that voice and would you yield to the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Would you be saved this morning? Are you willing to trust our Lord? Father, do the work that no man can do this morning in drawing men and women to yourself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us that salvation abolishes all human distinctions. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.